Where is our beautiful warm weather gone? My gosh, anybody else missing that? I, I was already moving ahead to like bike rides by the lake and getting out on the water and dreaming about, you know, walking up to Four Queens. And in fact, we did walk up to Four Queens last Sunday. I don't think I will this Sunday. Maybe I'll drive out to Menchie's. Menchie's is open. So uh, I was thinking about last summer. Actually, I went out to Dairy Queen um, with my son, Lewis, um, one Saturday. And I was so excited because Saturday's cheat day. And so like I was going to get a large s'mores blizzard. And um, we drive up to the parking lot, it's like 10 to 9 or something like that. We pull, there's no cars in the parking lot, there's no line coming out the door like there usually is. And, you know, and I, oh, this is great, we can get right in. And we, we pull into the parking lot, as we're getting out of our cars, I see the girl behind the counter, like, slide over the counter. And it looks like she went and flipped the open sign to close and locked the door. And I'm thinking, I look, that didn't just happen, did it? And so Lewis and I walk up and we try the door, sure enough, it's locked. And I like, so right away, I'm looking for the hours by the door that they keep, you know, and see what time it is. It says like nine o'clock or whatever, and I'm looking at my watch, and I'm like, no, we still have 10 minutes. And I, she's back on the other side of the counter. I start knocking on the door, and she won't look up, right? <laughs> she will not look up. And I, I'm like knocking, and I go, it's 10 minutes before closing time. You're not closed yet. Knock and knock. She never once looked up, and we sadly had to leave. And walk away and go settle for McDonald's or something like that. And I vowed never to go back to that Dairy Queen. And then I'm driving by like a couple weeks later and they were closed permanently. Yeah, which just goes to show, you know, like I take my business somewhere else and it just shuts it down. <laughs> it's crazy. I'm sure that many of you have had that experience though of having a door closed in your face. Some of you guys, you know, you asked a young girl out and you got shot down. It's like a door slamming in your face. And, uh, you know, maybe it was a, 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 some of your parents had a kid who stormed off in a temper tantrum and you were right behind him and they slammed the door right in your face. Or maybe you've gotten one of those letters one time, you know, uh, thanks for applying, um, but we've gone another direction. And it can be more than disappointing. It can like, it can be maddening. Uh, it can break our hearts, crush our spirits. And uh, sometimes a door closes in our face and a wall can go up in our hearts. And it's one thing if it's a date or if it's ice cream or something like that. You know, we expect to have a few doors closed on us. But imagine if you were running for your life or you were running because you needed help from somebody and you got there. And just as you got there, they slammed the door on your face. Or what if it was God's door that got closed in your face? What if somehow we are accidentally, accidentally closing God's door in other people's faces and keeping them away from a relationship with him. This was actually the single most significant problem that Jesus dealt with in his day, and nothing, nothing ticked him off more. The Pharisees were constantly turning people away, closing the door on them, right, as they, as they kept them away, trying to keep them away from Jesus and the life that he was inviting them into. And Jesus had uh, severe warnings for this type of behavior. Matthew actually writes about this. Uh, he was one of those outsiders that, that had the door kind of closed in his face at times. He was a tax collector, which means he was collecting money for the Roman government. So he's taking money from his own people and from God's people and giving it to the Roman government. And Jesus comes along and he invites him into this new life. And so Matthew follows him and he writes this book and in it he devotes an entire chapter to a sermon that's been dubbed the Sermon on the Woes. 
And in it, Jesus warns his followers not to live like their religious leaders who were facing serious and horrifying consequences for their actions. And last summer, we spent several weeks on the Sermon on the Mount. This year, we've spent four weeks on the Sermon on the Woes. And Frederick Bruner describes the difference between these two sermons very succinctly and clearly. He says, the Sermon on the Mount is about how to live, and the Sermon on the Woes is about how not to live. The Sermon on the Mount begins with blessings for all those who will, who will humble themselves, and they follow Jesus, and they, they allow his life and his words to have authority in their lives. And the Sermon on the Woes is full of warnings. It begins with warnings for arrogant religious people who assert themselves as authority in their lives and other people's lives. And we've spent four weeks on this. And at the end of today, we can either conclude that A, these Pharisees and these religious leaders were just a bunch of jerks and they were horrible leaders. Or B, we can start to kind of look at our own church and try to see people who are like this or look at other churches and see people who are like this and we can just try to avoid them and stay away from them. Or see, we can read this as I think Matthew intended for us to read it, which is as a warning to us to examine our own lives and to realign them with the life of Jesus so that we can enter into his kingdom and we can help other people enter into his kingdom as well. So right before Jesus gets to this Sermon on the Woes, Matthew tells us that an expert of the law tries to test Jesus, tries to catch him in a trap. He asks him, which is the greatest commandment? And if you were here last week, you heard Dave Bartlett teach about this very thing. You know that Jesus answered the greatest command. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two big rocks, right? The law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All the rest are little rocks, Jesus says. And Jesus indicts these religious experts who are questioning his authority. And he says, you guys spend way too much time arguing over the little rocks, trying to decide which ones are most important, which ones need to go into your life, and which rules need to be put into other people's lives. And you leave no room for the two big rocks to love God and love others. He says, focus on those, focus on love, and the rest of the law, all of the law and the prophets will be fulfilled. And then Jesus begins the Sermon on the Woes. Matthew tells us, then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. And I like to picture Dewey Finn here, the legendary substitute teacher from School of Rock takes those young kids to musical excellence, right? And he's quoted as saying, those that can't do, teach. And those that can't teach, teach gym. <laughs> Dewey Finn said that, not me. I apologize to all the gym teachers in the room. PE was my favorite class. But Jesus is saying, listen, he says, these teachers, they, they deserve your respect because they've been put in positions of authority that, that teach as they teach God's word. And so you do well to listen to them as they teach God's word. But listen, they do a horrible job. They stink at actually living this out for themselves. In fact, they may not even be all that great at teachers at times because it looks to me 
Like they're teaching gym class, as you read on, Jesus says, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. And I picture these barbells going on with extra weight. Go ahead, see if you can lift it. But they won't even help lift that barbell off the bar or spot them when somebody gets in trouble and can't push anymore. And Jesus goes on to say, he said, everything they do is for show. They wear special clothes. They sit in the front row where people can see them. Uh, they, they demand to be put on pedestals by being called by certain titles. He says, this is, this is not at all like my father's kingdom works. He says, in my father's kingdom, the people who are really great, they're the ones who are serving, and they take their seats at the table last, and they reserve the seat of honor for the king and for his special guests. He says, my father, my father exalts these people who humble themselves and who listen to me. And follow my life, but my, my father will humble all those who exalt themselves. And then Jesus continues the sermon and he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe. This was actually the first woe. The other six woes follow this one. And then a serious warning. Jesus says, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? And then he goes on and says that the judgment for the murder of every one of God's people from now or from the beginning of time to now and all through every generation is going to fall on your heads. Whoa. Jesus has never sounded more serious. A woe, right? It's both a denunciation and profound grief. It's as, it's as close to condemnation as an accusation can become. What was it that they were doing that had Jesus so ticked off? And Jesus actually tells us right in the verse, he says they were, one, shutting the door of God's kingdom in people's faces, keeping people away from God's kingdom, and they themselves, number two, were not entering the kingdom themselves. Right? Throughout history, God had been investing and investing in his people. He'd been sending people to rescue them and to restore them and to bring them uh, rich blessings and to lead them. And now he makes his greatest investment of all. He sends his own son, Jesus, to open the door to his kingdom and to share his blessings with them. And these religious leaders are just like all the religious leaders before them. They refuse to enter, they refuse to participate in the blessing, and they refuse to share Jesus' blessing with anybody else. And they shut Jesus right out, but really they shut themselves out of God's kingdom. I want you to think about it this way. Think about investing two and a half million dollars in a brand new church. And you're set to open that church and all of your leaders that you expect to be there who are inviting and, and encouraging people and connecting them with the church and connecting with the life there and connecting them with Jesus through that church. Those leaders show up on the day that that church opens and they're shooing people away. They're shoving people out. They're posting big like entry requirements and lists of rules by the door saying you have to meet these requirements before you can enter. I can tell you if that happened in Grundy Center... Brian's head would explode, right? My head would explode. But we would never do something like that. That's ludicrous, right? Who would ever do something like this? 
We know that Jesus has given us a mission. We know he's given us strategies to complete this mission. And that's exactly what the Pharisees thought. You know, the teachers of the law, they were experts in God's word. They were good people. They were doing their best to try to help people understand and pass down the law that God had given to Moses so that people could learn to live as God's holy and chosen people. Jesus even says, listen to what they say. Listen to what they teach. And the Pharisees were just regular people who so loved the Torah. They were so passionate about their Bible that they spent extra time studying their Bible. They, they went and got extra training so that they could teach that Torah and they could lead Bible studies and lead small groups in their local synagogues to help people understand God's word better. And in a world that was increasingly immoral and hostile towards God and towards God's way of life in the world, they demanded strict obedience and they, they strived for strict obedience themselves to the smallest details of God's word. And they taught that that was the way you earn God's blessing. And all of this, this spiritual fervor and this Bible knowledge, all of this impeccable morality, it made them the most respected and honored people in their communities. And they had special privileges and they had status and power and influence. They were the best of the best when it came to their faith. And in their eyes, the system was working because the system was working for them. And Jesus comes along with his best Lee Corso impersonation, and he says, not so fast. He says, the system is not working. It's not even working for you. He says, you're mistaking the abundant blessing of God's kingdom for a few members-only privileges in some exclusive club that you've formed and that you are controlling he said, you're trading God's love for the approval of man. And you're replacing God's all-inclusive invitation to join in his kingdom with a long list of entry requirements. You've forgotten the door that you entered through, who showed you through that door, and that your admission was free. And yet you won't even lift a finger to go show somebody else where this door is or help them enter through it. These were good people trying really hard to do the right thing, and I don't think it was what they were doing as much as how they were doing it that had taken them out of the kingdom. I think it's the same for us today. I have a young friend who went off to college a few years ago, and a couple years ago, and he, uh, he joined a ministry, a college ministry at college, a great thing, and his faith just started taking off. Um, he'd grown up around here and had a good start, but his faith just starts to grow, and he's really being invested in by this ministry. Good things are happening in his life, and he demonstrates that he has this gift of leadership. And so in the spring of his sophomore year, leaders come to him, and they say, hey, we'd really love it if you would lead a small group for us in the fall. Are you up for that? And he's all excited about this. And then two weeks before classes start in the fall, the leaders come back to him, and they say, I'm sorry but you're not going to be able to lead a small group for us this fall because your girlfriend is not a Christian. We have, we have uh, leadership standards, and, and we have a verse to back this up. Never mind the fact that this young woman had been studying the Bible uh, with another leader from another ministry all summer because she wanted to know Jesus more. 
She wants to know who he is. She wants to have a relationship with him, but she hadn't made a public profession of faith, and she hadn't been baptized. So in this ministry's eyes, she's an outsider, and if my son's dating her, he's out too. I think, why wouldn't you take a step towards her? I mean, this seems like closing a door before closing time to me. Why wouldn't you want to help her? Why wouldn't you want to invest in her and get to know her a little bit? Were they just afraid it was going to be too messy if they reached out to her? And what if things didn't work out? Was she going to bring down the ministry or what was going to happen? And before I get too hard on them, I think about my own relationship with my own son. I think about those times in high school when he made some choices that weren't good, that really upset me. And how I got angry and distant from him, as if somehow I wanted to say, this is God's reaction to you. He gets angry and he pulls distant from you and he stays away until you figure it out, until you make it right, until you straighten up. You know, I, I don't know why I did that. I thought that if I didn't do this, I was somehow shirking my responsibilities as a dad or if I was just afraid of what other parents might think of my parenting if they found out what he'd done and saw us having a good time together or something. I know it wasn't intentional, but I know there were times when I closed the door of God's kingdom in my own son's face. Jesus comes to open doors, and he keeps them open long after closing time. Luke tells a story in the gospel that I think sheds some light on our struggle with this and encourages us on how we can again step into the kingdom and help others enter as well. There was a certain Pharisee, a, a Pharisee named Simon that, that Luke tells us about, and he was throwing a dinner party one night, and he invites all his Pharisee friends and the other uh, experts in law and things like that, and he invites Jesus to come over as well. And uh, they're, they're all having dinner at this table when this woman walks in uninvited, She's carrying a bottle of perfume, and she stands right behind Jesus at the dinner table, and she just starts weeping. Kind of a downer of a party at this point, right? And it gets even weirder, right? Because um, Simon actually knows this woman, and I think a lot of other men in the room may have known her as well because she's a hor hor horrible sinner. And uh, she, she bends down, and now she just starts crying like crazy, and her tears are falling all over Jesus' feet. And she takes her hair, and she just starts wiping Jesus' feet with her hair. And then she takes the perfume, and she pours the perfume out on Jesus' feet, and she starts kissing his feet. And Simon's over there going crazy, going, what is Jesus doing? Why is he letting this woman carry on like this? If he's really who he says he is, if he really is a prophet, he knows exactly who this woman is. And he wouldn't let her, not only would he not let her in the house, he definitely wouldn't let her touch her feet because she has violated every rule that he can possibly think of. Jesus looks at Simon and he sees the confusion or the disgust in Simon's face. Maybe he read his mind. I don't know what he did, but he says to Simon, let me tell you something about my father's kingdom. He says, it's like this. It's like two people borrowed some money from a banker. One of them borrowed $50, another borrowed 500 bucks. And the banker realizes that neither one of them are ever going to be able to pay their debt back. And so he forgives both of their loans. And he looks at Simon and says, which one do you suppose is going to love the banker more? And Simon's pretty sharp. You know, he's, not, he's not dumb. He says, well, I, I guess the one who was forgiven the larger debt. 
ding, 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 winner, winner, chicken dinner, you know? Jesus says, yes, you got it right. And then he looks at, at this woman, and he says to Simon, he says, Simon, look at this woman. I mean, see her. Look at this woman. I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to this woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus loved Simon. He loved Simon. He loved all the Pharisees. And so he reminds Simon, listen, you and this woman, you both have debts. And by your estimation, Simon, your debt is relatively small and you can handle it. But you think this woman is out cash, you know, writing checks, her body just can't cash. But the truth is, Simon, neither one of you can pay back the debt you owe. And without help, you are both out. But I have good news. I have come to pay both of your debts so that both of you can enter into my kingdom. And yet you refuse to enter through this door and you block others from entering this same door to receive the forgiveness that they seek. You're too proud to admit that you have any debt. And you're afraid because you know that if you let me pay your debt, then you are no better than this woman. And you cannot stand the thought that the two of you share equal status in my Father's kingdom. So you're looking for another door. Maybe you just don't believe that my Father has given me the authority and the resources to pay these debts. And you're thinking, if I forgive this woman's debt, there's going to be others just like her lining up at the door, and it's going to break the bank. And so you are, you're sitting there at the door, and you're, and, you're, and you're keeping the bad debt out, thinking if you keep that bad debt out, you can keep the bank healthy and safe, and you put yourself in charge as you stand there in the doorway embracing the guests who look like you and who follow your rules, mistakenly believing that you resemble the banker. And just like tonight, as you welcomed your friends with a kiss, and you made sure there was water to wash their feet, and yet you failed to recognize the banker's own son when he walked right through your doorway, because he looks nothing like you. And you failed to give him a kiss, and you failed to wash his feet or wash the feet of others who look like him. And you've walked yourself right out of the kingdom. But look at this woman. She gets it. She was drowning in a debt that she knew she could never repay, and it was destroying her life. But she believes the Father has given me the authority and the resources to pay it for her, no strings attached. So she came through that door humbly. 
seeking forgiveness. And as her great love has shown, she's received it. This display that you think is so bizarre, that you're so disgusted with, Simon, she can't help but contain her, she can't contain her deep gratitude and love for the forgiveness that she's received, and it honors me. Simon, church, follow the lead of this woman. Enter through the door of forgiveness. Come and receive the forgiveness that you seek. Get out of the doorway. Let me wash your feet and make you new again and make you clean. And then as your love and your gratitude rises up within you, go, honor me and open the door. Throw it open for other people to enter through as well. Jesus says to me, he says, Jeff, he says, remember what it was like to be your son's age. Remember how much I forgave you. And remember how much you need my forgiveness now because your pride that's resulting in this anger that you think is a righteous anger is actually a self-righteous anger. Come back through the doorway and receive the forgiveness that you need and then go and help your son enter through the same door to get the forgiveness that he needs. Follow the example of your father-in-law. My wife has a cousin who did some horrible things. He beat up a guy looking for some drug money. And uh, it turned out this guy was a prominent physician in his community, and he was a Muslim, and, and he got tried for a for hate crime, and he was uh, convicted and sentenced 30 years in prison. That's a door closing in your face. Bars slammed shut on your face. And uh, my father-in-law loves his nephew, and he refuses to let the door of life get closed on his nephew's face. He regularly visits him in prison, flying to Las Vegas, where he's in prison, to meet with him regularly. He advocates for his education, helping him to get a degree while he's there, to keep moving forward. He, he, he advocates for uh, state assistance so that he can overcome his drug addiction. The father-in-law doing all this, he doesn't have a whole lot of time for church, but he doesn't even know this. I believe he's, God is using him to open a door to God's kingdom through forgiveness and new life. I love how Carter Moore in our college ministry does this as well. Our college age leaders, one of them recently invited a friend to come to BASIC, our Thursday night worship event. And this, this young woman comes to that event and, and something happened during the night and she encounters Jesus. She has this experience with Jesus and uh, she's just fired up, and she sees all her friends who've um, signed up to go volunteer at Chaos, and so she says, I'm going to go sign up for Chaos too, which you can tell she's had an experience with Jesus if she's going to go volunteer for our junior high ministry. And so she, uh, she signs up, and, and yet here's this young woman who hasn't been following Jesus. Um, she hasn't been in a small group. I don't know if she's ever been in a small group before. She hasn't led a small group before. She's not even living a, a mature Christian life. In fact, She's living a life that she herself is not proud of at all. And she herself, uh, she confessed, she said she was uneasy about helping junior high students because of um, her lacking faith and struggling so much herself. And our college leaders could have easily just closed a door on her. But they remembered that it wasn't too long ago that some of them were in her shoes. And so they moved towards her and invited her uh, to hang out with them and to get to know her a little bit. And they found out that she just had this deep desire to know more of Jesus. And, and she was coachable and she loved young students. 
And so they decided, you know, what if we put you with another leader and you could be a co-leader of a small group at our junior high ministry? And this led to all kinds of more conversations and encounters with Jesus. And she comes to the realization that she needs Jesus' forgiveness, just like, like these students do and just like we all do. And two weeks ago, she's baptized in our sanctuary. I'm so thankful for college leaders who keep the door open for their friends and for others. I find in my own life, it's a lot easier for me to be like Simon than it is to be humble like that woman at the party. What about you? The things in your life which maybe you need to enter the door again and receive forgiveness for. Jesus is waiting. He says, come in and receive forgiveness. When was the last time you stepped through that door? Are there friends around you? Maybe you've closed a door on their face unintentionally. Are there people around you who need to step through that door? Are there ways that you could help open this door so that they can receive the forgiveness Christ longs to bring them? We were singing that song that Tim taught us this morning a few weeks ago at our January leadership huddle, and my mind was elsewhere. I was thinking about the presentation I was going to give to our leaders in the room that morning, and so I was thinking about some other things as they were leading worship, when all of a sudden, a lyric from that song just pierced my heart and my mind, just went straight in. It was where he says, you stand by my side, you stood in my place. Jesus, no other name. Only Jesus, no other name. And right away I started thinking, you know, there's a lot of great leaders throughout the centuries. A lot of great leaders and teachers today. There have been a lot of great prophets and a lot of great teachers from Christianity, but also from other religions who have a lot of good things to teach us. We can learn from a lot of different people. But only one of these teachers, only one of these prophets actually stood in my place. Only one of them took my sin and took it to the cross and paid my debt, purchasing my forgiveness. Only one of them opened the door to new life with the Father and the promise of eternity with him. It was Jesus, no other name. I don't know where you're at this morning. But I want you to know that Jesus stands there and he invites you to enter through this doorway. No matter what you've done, no matter what kind of past you have, Jesus is standing, the door wide open, ready to embrace you as you walk in. And if you've received that, know it's on us to go and help others understand this great truth as well. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of Jesus. Father, some of us may still think that the debt we have is relatively small compared to others, and it may be, but it's still a debt that we can't repay. Others of us here maybe this morning have a debt that we think couldn't ever possibly be paid by anyone. Father, give us the faith to believe and to accept that Jesus' death on the cross paid all of our debts, no matter how big or small. Help us to again step through that doorway to receive the forgiveness you long to give us and to become people who go and open that door wide for others. It's in your son's name we pray.
Amen. Amen.